It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Saturday, March 12th, 2022. I'm Tanya J. Powers. The U.S. rejects Poland's plan to give Ukraine its Soviet-era fighter jets. From the Pentagon's perspective, this wasn't the right type of military aid to be providing to the Ukrainians. And I'm Jared Halpern. Gas prices hit an all-time high. How much more can you expect to pay? We're going to find that out probably in the next three weeks because we're going to see those prices go up uh, pretty dramatically. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. On Wednesday, the Biden administration rejected Poland's offer to provide Ukraine with MiG fighter jets, stating this would be a high-risk move, furthering tensions with Russia. This has really become a bit of a red herring from the Pentagon's point of view. Fox News national security correspondent Jennifer Griffin joins me. What happened was that uh, the Ukrainians wanted at first NATO to set up a no-fly zone, but the NATO has been very clear that setting up a no-fly zone would put NATO warplanes, U.S. warplanes, in direct conflict with Russia, and they were not willing to set up a no-fly zone. Then the Ukrainians asked for um, MiG-29 fighter jets, which Poland had offered to provide. They had 24 MiG-29s. Now, these MiG-29s are an old version of a Soviet-made plane. They have been, according to my sources, uh, they had been in fa- in uh, warehouses, mothballed. They weren't exactly, nobody's quite sure of the maintenance and how ready to fly they are. When President Zelensky called Congress on that Saturday and had a Zoom meeting with all of U.S. Congress. He pleaded for more help, and he suggested that the Poles were willing to provide these uh, MiG warplanes. At that point, the U.S. said they would not stand in the way of Poland if it wanted to provide the planes, but it was going to be complicated in terms of how to deliver. Would Ukrainian pilots go over to Poland, fly them in from Poland, which is a NATO country? Would that be seen as an escalation by Vladimir Putin? Then, fast forward, the Poles put out a statement without consulting with the Pentagon or White House in which they blindsided U.S. officials and said, we will provide the MiGs to the U.S. Uh, we'll fly them to a U.S. base in Germany, Ramstein, a NATO air base. The U.S. would take custody of those planes and give them to Ukraine. Now, first of all, flying to Ramstein is the opposite direction of then just taking them across the border into Ukraine. It was clear the Poles were getting nervous that the Russians would target them if they provided the planes directly. But they put the Americans in the middle of it. And the Americans felt that a, this could escalate things with Putin, and w- their intelligence, they suggested, uh, w- was that, you know, it was one thing providing shoulder-held missiles, stingers, and other missiles to the Ukrainians, but it's another thing providing warplanes. So they also assessed that the Ukrainians did not need these 24 MiGs, of which we they weren't sure how, in what 
condition the MiGs were in because the Ukrainians, we've reported today, have 56 warplanes that are still flying. They have several squadrons in their air force that have not been destroyed by the Russians that are still flying between five to 10 sorties a day. But U.S. officials that I've spoken to here at the Pentagon suggest that these MiGs aren't really going to make a difference on the ground. This is not an air campaign as much as it is long-range missiles, artillery, tanks, uh, encircling of population centers, and the destruction is happening on the ground. And they they feel that the shoulder-fired missiles are a lot more effective against the Russian military. And also air def- the mobile air defense systems that the U.S. has provided and is going to continue to provide, the sophisticated anti-aircraft missile systems that Ukraine has been moving around quite stealthily and taking down Russian warplanes. So from the Pentagon's perspective, this wasn't the right uh, type of uh, uh, military aid to be providing to the Ukrainians. It had a lot of uh, catches involved. They aren't going to stand in, in the way if the Poles want to send the MiGs over, but it's not clear how those MiGs would get there. You don't just drive them across the border, and if you fly them from uh, from Poland to Ukraine, the Russians might take a shot at, at, uh, at into Polish airspace. And what happens then? That's an Article 5 violation, and suddenly, as President Biden said today, you're in World War III. Let me also ask you, uh, on Friday, the U.N. Security Council met at Russia's request. Russia has been claiming that they found bioweapons in Ukraine, uh, something about using migratory birds. But they, you said the U.S. was going to use migratory birds to spread weaponized viruses from Ukraine to Russia. Uh, that was that was kind of called out pretty quickly uh, by some of the folks there at the U.N., including U.S. Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield, who also called out China for spreading disinformation in support of Russia's false claims. This kind Kind of seems to fall in line with what we've seen U.S. officials saying since before the invasion, like Secretary of State Antony Blinken uh, basically saying, you know, the strategy has been basically by Washington to counter the, the tactics by Moscow saying, OK, well, they're going to say it, this and then they're going to do this. And that's exactly what's happened. What else are you seeing that follows this same kind of track? Anything? Well, I think it's very, very important, Tanya, that we go back to the initial supposition behind this. This is classic Russian disinformation. The U.S. does not have bioweapons, nor was it ever developing bioweapons in Ukraine. Ukraine does not have bioweapons. They had bio labs, laboratories that were dated back to the Soviet period that the U.S. was helping them clean up from 2005 onwards. There was a program called the Defense Threat Reduction Agency. It's a very well-known, not secret program uh, that the Pentagon has had to help uh, post after the fall of the Soviet Union to help those states get control over some of the bio agents and and chemical agents that were left behind after the Soviet Union fell apart. That was a very successful program that the roots of which started with the Nun Lugar uh, 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 bill back in 1991, which was designed to try and help the Soviet Union after it broke up deal with these these issues. What the Russians have done in recent days, and the Chinese are amplifying it in their, through their state media and disinformation channels, is they're putting this out, suggesting to the Russian people and whatever, uh, whatever uh, you know, bots decide to pick up this information and, and report it as true, they are suggesting that the U.S. has, has created some sort of bioweapon in Ukraine and is planning to send 
uh, it via migratory birds into Russia. This is nonsense. It was proven to be nonsense today at the UN. Nobody bought it other than the Chinese who are just, you know, uh, going along with Russia right now because they, you know, they have their own reasons for that. But no thinking nation or person believes what the Russian disinformation machine is putting out right now. And this was a classic example of it. But what you heard President Zelensky and U.S. officials warn of is that this is a classic Russian playbook where they blame the West for doing something that, in fact, they intend to do. Now, they don't intend to send birds with bioweapons into Ukraine, but they have used, they have chemical weapons. They have uh perpetrated false flag operations in the past. They have turned a blind eye to Syria's dictator Bashar Assad using chemical weapons. And so there's grave concern that the Russians will try to make it look like the U.S. or Ukraine use chemical weapons or bioweapons inside uh, Ukraine, try to blame it on the West and NATO in order to get sympathy for their Russian people at home. This is preposterous, but there is great concern that the Russians are planning to use this disinformation and twist it. And, and those who are elevating this disinformation are basically doing Russia's bidding right now. Thank you for breaking that down into easily understandable chunks. Thank you so much, Jennifer. We really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Tanya. If you filled up your gas tank this week, it costs more than any previous fill-up. As of Friday afternoon, AAA reported the average price of regular unleaded was $4.33 a gallon, a record-setting price and nearly the most expensive ever when inflation is taken into account. President Biden and the White House have pointed to the Russian invasion of Ukraine as one reason for that jump, dubbing the price at the pump a Putin price hike. The decision today is not without cost here at home. Putin's war is already hurting American families at the gas pump. Since Putin began his military buildup on Ukrainian borders, just since then, the price of the gas at the pump in America went up 75 cents. And with this action, it's going to go up further. That was the president this week explaining a likely rise in gasoline prices as a result of new Russian oil bans in the U.S. and elsewhere, part of the sanctions package targeting the Russian economy. Republicans point out gas prices have been on the rise since long before the war in Ukraine was expected and point to energy policies. They claim reduce oil and gas production in the U.S., making Americans more reliant on foreign sources. The White House has pushed back, arguing domestic oil producers have plenty of untapped potential to drill. Phil Flynn is a Fox Business Network contributor. He is based in Chicago with a specialty in the energy sector. I asked him about the rise in gas prices, how high they could go, and what ultimately could bring some relief. Well, you're going to have to replace a heck of a lot of oil uh, from Russia, right? And there's not a lot of places on the globe that can replace that oil right now. And the places that can really don't have any incentive to do it. 
you know, the first place in the past, the United States always have has relied on OPEC, you know, to fill mm-hmm. production voids in history, right? Uh, before the U.S. shale revolution, we were dependent on OPEC. And, and basically, it was our relationship with Saudi Arabia um, that really got us through the Persian Gulf War. It got us through other supply shocks because the Saudis, at the end of the day, used to have our back, right? If we needed more oil, they'd, they'd produce it. Um, that relationship that's turned sour in recent years, especially under President Biden, Biden. Um, there's no incentive for Saudi Arabia to raise production. Um, and the other thing that's changed that relationship has been the rise of the U.S. energy producer. And because of the Biden administration's anti-fossil fuel um, agenda, um, you know, the U.S. producers have been hamstricken to raise production. So you put this all together, we're seeing one of the tightest supply situations that we have seen, you know, for oil gasoline, and especially diesel fuel that we've seen probably since the 1970s. It's a very explosive situation. It could lead to shortages in worst case scenarios. And the system has no room for error. So there's a lot of risk uh, for upside price movements. Um, And that's not to say prices are going to go straight up every day. They won't. You're going to see some dips and rallies. And, you know, hopefully, you know, producers are going to be able to respond to higher prices, but um, the oil from Russia uh, couldn't easily be replaced. Now, the other thing about Russian oil, and I don't want to get too technical, is that it's a type of oil, a heavier oil that our refiners in the United States are used to refining. And one of the reasons why the U.S. has been importing record amounts of heavy oil, it's harder to find in the global market. Heavy oil makes things like diesel fuels for our trucks and jet fuels for planes. Um, And we used to get a lot of it from Venezuela. But, of course, Venezuela's socialist revolution, their production fell. We have sanctions on that country. So we're trying to source it from other places. Usually we get it from Canada, but Canada's sending as much as they can because they have restrictions on how much they can send us. Part of those restrictions are because we didn't build the darn pipeline, the Keystone pipeline. That would have helped a lot. Um, And we should be building more pipelines, not less. Um, But because we're not, it's harder for them to get supply. So we really backed ourselves into a corner getting more dependent on Russian oil. And it's going to be painful getting off of it. And I think we're already seeing that pain at the gas pump. And we're going to see it uh, when we try to book our airlines. I think they're going to have to start charging fuel surcharges at some point, the way these prices are going to go up. Is that Canadian oil and the oil that is produced in the United States also that heavier oil that, that is used for diesel fuel for jet fuel? It is. You know, they have they have different qualities of oil, but they are heavier oil that they produce. Uh, some of the oil sands oil that they send to the United States uh, would be a replacement for that Russian crude. So it's the type of oil uh, that our U.S. refiners are built to refine. Um, no. And uh, they're just having a harder time sourcing that heavier oil. Let me ask about the issue of U.S. production, because the, the, the White House says, listen, there are permits out there that are going unused. Why is that? How come U.S. producers aren't putting drills in the ground? You know, that that's one of the talking points that we used to hear during the Obama administration as well, when there were complaints that U.S. producers weren't producing enough oil. Um, it's a red herring. 
it's misleading and the american people hear something like that and they're like oh my gosh these oil companies why aren't they just drilling like crazy and there's a lot of reasons you know the first reason is because a lot of those leases don't have oil or gas on them. You're like, what? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. A lot of times when these um, oil companies bid on a federal lease, um, they, they're building on a block of you know, leases. Some will have oil, some won't, but you gotta buy the whole package, right? It's kind of like when you buy, build it, you know, you, if you bought a whole subdivision, you know, uh, not every lot might be viable to build a, a big house on, right? It might be viable for something else. So part of the problem is, is that some of those leases, they keep those leases because there's some good lots in that uh, subdivision that they want to produce on and they're paying for the other ones that don't produce. That's part of it. Number two is the regulatory environment um, that they have right now. Uh, some of these producers that bought these leases expected to be able to produce it at a particular price, but now they're getting hit with the threat of higher royalty taxes by the Biden administration. The Biden administration is going to raise the cost of producing to a point where it may not be economical for them to produce that oil. You know, you're not in business to produce oil and to lose money on every barrel. And the Biden administration's regulatory environment has made that uneconomical to draw. So they're partly to blame uh, for the drillers not drilling. The other thing, too, is when you look at these drilling um, leases uh, that they have, uh, a lot of these um, leases that these people have bought, um, you know, in the past, um, depend on transportation okay so if i'm going to be able to drill this oil i've got to find a way to get it to the refineries or get it to a pipeline so i can sell my oil and i know for a fact of certain producers are afraid to produce the oil because they're afraid that they won't be able to move it from point a to point b uh, because the biden administration may put kill more pipelines i mean um they they've killed one pipeline already the um, keystone xl they're not a very pipeline friendly administration we have restrained capacity on pipelines right now in this country and if there were more pipelines that were built then there would be more incentive for people to drill and produce more oil but if you don't have the pipeline capacity to move the oil you have to wait till that capacity frees up so you want the lease you're going to you know, pay for the lease, but you have to wait till it's um, economical and, and feasible to, to do it. You just can't drill the oil and keep it at the field, right? You have to be able to move the oil. So it's very misleading. It's a talking point. And I continue to say to the administration, please, no more talking points. We need more oil, not more talking points. What is the timeline from sort of, uh, you know, I, I'm probably oversimplifying this, but drill in the yeah. ground to in the gas tank. In other words, you know, yeah. you talk about like the, the economics of this, right? I, I would think with oil yeah. as expensive as it is right now, you would want to, to get like this would be the time to, to put it in the ground. Right. But does that translate necessarily to lower gas prices in the immediate future? It can, uh, you know, if, if there's uh, the market realizes that there's going to be a lot of oil coming in the near term, um, it will. 
because the market looks ahead to where we're at. And, and in fact, if you look at the futures market, they are pricing in more oil down the road. Uh, and, and But they should be pricing in even more oil down the road, and they're not, uh, partly because, you know, it depends. Um, and I don't want to get too technical with everybody, but you know, it, it, normally it will. If if the Biden administration said, "Let's produce as much as we can," you know, let's start drilling today. Um, let's start opening pipelines. I mean, you're looking at a three to six month turnaround. There are things called drilled but uncompleted wells where the wells are pretty much ready to go. They just need a little extra love, you know, a little extra investment, and they can bring them online in a very short period of time. But the problem with that right now is that we've already gone there. You know, a lot of the production that President Biden is talking about, you know, in my first year, I brought in more oil than President Trump did in his first year. Well, that oil was actually created from leases and and drilling that was done under President Trump. And those um Drill drilled holes had to be capped because of the COVID situation and uh, because the demand had fallen off. Mm-hmm. So they capped those wells, right? So now the prices are going back up. They're uncapping those wells and producing that oil. And that's why you're seeing the surge in oil production. So President Biden is taking credit for oil production that was actually drilled under president trump so uh you know i don't think anybody believes that president biden is the drill 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 president have we ever got that impression i don't tell us well, i don't think he's built himself he's to be that to either. himself as a drill 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 guy right I, I, yeah i mean I, I don't think that's his intention either but um you talk about sort of this timeline with three to six months from sort of drilling to to production is the faster remedy to continue to have these releases from, say, like the Strategic Petroleum Reserve? You know, the the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is supposed to be used in emergency. You know, when you're a little kid, you see break in case of fire. Okay, you're not supposed to break it. In are case we not of at fire, that point with suspended. what gas prices are? Well, that's the thing. Uh, <laughs> we probably are getting to that point. Yeah. But the re- but the thing is, is that the Biden administration tapped it in November. Mm-hmm. So they went to the well too often. Um, and you reduce the amount of oil in the in the strategic reserve in it. And when you do that, it removes the effectiveness of lowering prices over the long run. My final question is this, then. Is there sort of a a point in which gas prices like just can't go up anymore i mean it is that's a weird question to ask but i mean yeah. is there a price at which like that's it like the consumers just aren't gonna like it's just untenable we're gonna find that out probably in the next three weeks because we're gonna see those prices go up uh pretty dramatically our gut feeling is uh, that the area that we think will really cause a recession is a national average somewhere around $7 a gallon. That's not to say that we won't see some pullback in demand, because we will, because of what has already happened. Um, and so um, our expectations are that we'll know in the next three weeks how the U.S. consumers are handling uh, these price spikes. I can tell you from experience, when prices go up this fast, it's never good. 
and the um, economy has a very difficult time when it moves up this quickly. People have to adjust, and we're going to see how well they can adjust in the next few weeks. But when you look at the inflation numbers, the highest they've been since 1982, you look at food prices, you look at rent, and you look at the fact that most Americans' um, incomes are not keeping up with inflation, there is definitely going to be a negative impact you know, on the economy. You know, how bad it's going to be, we don't know. Um, but hopefully we'll adjust, but we're going to find out very shortly. You mentioned food prices. Are those going to go up? I had read that both Russia and Ukraine are pretty big suppliers of wheat. Heck yeah, it's they're going to go through the roof. And in fact, we're seeing you know the price of wheat. They're the fourth biggest exporter of wheat. Uh, that's gone through the roof. Fertilizer, which is made by natural gas, mm-hmm. um, natural gas prices in Europe are at record highs, like the equivalent of four hundred dollar a barrel crude oil. So it's going to be more difficult for farmers to produce higher yields. Uh, so this is a major issue here in the U.S. Of course, we can make our own fertilizer, but you look at the fact that food supplies globally are as tight as they've been probably in 10 years, and now you have this potential supply shock on the horizon, um, definitely a potential for food prices to go up. We're already seeing in poorer countries the potential of shortages, and, and we're really going to have to uh, make a stand here. Now, if things continue to be stressed, I might make a recommendation to the Biden administration to look at their CRP program. And what that is, is that farmers hold back acres and they're paid by the governments not to plant, sometimes for environmental reasons, you know, sometimes just to help out the farmers. But in this state of an emergency, it might be a wise idea for the uh, Biden administration to free up some of those acres to produce wheat and corn and beans to avoid global shortages. And I really appreciate you you explaining all of this, uh, giving some context. It's important. And uh, we will uh, talk soon. Thank you so much. Tomorrow on the Fox News Rundown from Washington, two years into the pandemic, most mask mandates are now gone. We'll talk about new CDC guidelines and when we may finally declare COVID over. We'll also hear from two candidates hoping to keep Pennsylvania's open Senate seats in Republican hands. Until then, I'm Jared Alpern. Thanks for listening to the Fox News Rundown from Washington. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.